1: Praise be the Sacred Heart of Jesus and the Immaculate Heart of Mary. Welcome to another edition of Real Presence Live. As Father James Gross, a priest of the Diocese of Fargo, coming to you from our Grand Forks studios. Welcomed again, as always, Um, welcoming in and joined by Father Jason Leffer. Good morning. Good morning, Father Gross. Now. I'm a bit
3: more cheery this morning than than you are, and I, my heart goes out. To <laughs> you, so you're you're dealing with a little little illness that you've been under the weather. So you're fighting fight <clears throat> the voice there, and we appreciate right. you making the sacrifice to be on this morning. But we're um, it's interesting, folks, because it's it's minus twenty outside, which. I, I tell the whole world, rejoice, because there's only two more minus 20 days on the horizon. Today and... Uh, From your lips next, to God's ears. Brother. Yeah, and next Tuesday. But um, tomorrow's supposed to be 31, so I, I'm, Indeed. I'm totally excited to get mm-hmm. outside. But uh, unfortunately... Um, you know as things often happen on the close day of the year the heating system is we not We
1: are uh, we are literally in a hot seat here in our Grand Forks <laughs> studio there is a something malfunctioning with our boiler it is um, uh, the thermostat is not telling it to turn off and so things are considerably warm here uh, in our studio and the
3: thing is it's it's better than 92 degrees in the studio than -20 so i'm i'm counting my blessings here this exactly
1: my... we could just as easily be seeing our breath as we're sitting here today right but yeah. And, and, and then to to complicate it, the window's frozen shut. <laughs> yes, yes. So we're hopefully going to be able to budge that open and, and get a little bit of relief here before the uh, program concludes today. I, I did want to um, mention, I just for giggles was looking at uh, the fact that we do have a wide listening area and our dear friends at our uh, station in Gillette, Wyoming, you know, today it's going to be 37 degrees. Oh, those
3: poor souls, those poor souls, they're missing out on this wonder.
1: So, so I'm certainly hoping that, and as you mentioned, it's going to warm up a little bit tomorrow so they can send some of those milder conditions, <laughs> even for a day or two, you know, up our direction. So as we begin with our show today, I'm going to call upon Father Leffer to lead us in an opening prayer. Very good. I'm very
3: excited to invoke the Lord here. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. God, our Father in heaven, we thank you, we praise you, we worship you. We adore you. We glorify you. May our radio program this morning glorify you and be glory itself as we uh, send forth uh, the word of God into the ears, the hearts, the minds of of all of our listeners. Heavenly Father, we're very conscious of need this morning. We ask you to have a generous response uh, to all those who in these severe conditions who do not have proper shelter. Or clothing, or heat, or water, or sewer. We pray for all those who are traveling, especially those who are traveling to the March for Life in Washington D.C. for their safety and well-being. For all of those who will be out of doors um, tomorrow for the pro-life march, Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the things that go right we thank you for the heating systems that are working the water all of it father we uh we are brought to our knees at moments like this uh to know that we we depend upon you for all things that you are a generous father and such a good god to us father we ask you to continue to bless us and to spoil us make us your your favorite children with all the blessings uh, that we desire we ask all of this through christ our lord Amen. And the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
1: Amen. St. Sebastian. Pray for us. St. Fabian. Pray for us. There we go. Two wonderful martyrs of the early church we could mention a little bit later on today. Uh, for our first segment today, we're going to get back on the path uh, for a stroll down Literary Lane. <laughs> and uh, we have with us uh, our regular guest, Nancy Gord. Welcome back to Real Presence Live.
2: Well, thank you. It's my pleasure to be here.
1: Thank you.
3: Nancy, your voice is always... It's so wonderful to hear your voice on this cold day. It warms our hearts
1: to just be be excited about how you're going to open up the world of uh, literature to us this morning. Indeed. There are a couple of different things, a couple of different works that we're going to be talking about. Um, I just wanted to ask a... Uh, an introductory question about one of them, um, if we could, in this first segment at least, concentrate on a prayer journal by Flannery O'Connor, uh, a um, uh, author from the early to mid twentieth century who has become, you know fairly renowned, I would say, in Catholic circles. It's interesting as I was um, doing a little bit of research, there was one, reviewer, I guess, who used the adjective sardonic to describe <laughs> her writing style, um, sort of a, a, a biting kind of skepticism, perhaps, you know, dark or whatever. So I guess the first thing that I wanted to ask is, you know, as a, a person who is well-versed in literature, what, kind of, what should a person prepare themselves for when they are going to start reading some of these works from Flannery O'Connor?
2: Well, I think it depends if you're talking about her fiction or her nonfiction. Because I find her nonfiction pieces, her essays, copies of her speeches, her prayer journal, to be very comfortable, enlightening works about her environment, about her personality. Now, she viewed herself as a fiction writer, and those of us who have read her no, she's very Southern Gothic in her approach. So there are always elements of the grotesque, the macabre, uh, the violent. And this is what makes her fiction difficult to get through. She had said in um, a work of hers, not in the prayer journal, but a nonfiction piece, that as a Catholic, as a devout Catholic, she has a laser beam on the worst. And that is what needs to be revealed. And I have always struggled with the idea of how do I see the grace of God, his redemptive grace, through these very stark pieces of hers, her fictional pieces. So as I was thinking about her, I embraced her nonfiction. I appreciate her views toward the written word, the sense of place in literature, but I do find her fiction to be very startling and disconcerting.
3: You know, uh, as, a, as a product of public schools and public education, uh, I first encountered Flannery O'Connor at, at university, and um, I just remember my, my first thing was that hit me was. You mean there's a Catholic author out there that we referenced? Because, you know, as I went back across my public education, uh, it was very rare that anybody was identified as Catholic or with the, the Catholic Church, that kind of a thing. So I remember having this excitement that, oh my gosh, there's, there's this Catholic author. And then I have to say, maybe because it was the age, but in those college years to encounter her, I just I remember being intrigued. Like, just absolutely intrigued. And I, I was always in awe how she could take the themes that she would present, and you're always left with that, that God is in the midst of the worst, and there's always something to be hopeful about. I don't know. I mean, I guess that's my, my kind of overwhelming sense of just um, encountering her literature.
2: Well, and she is not afraid to show the worst, uh, she's not one to sugarcoat anything,
3: she's fearless.
2: She is, and when you read her prayer journal, and one of the reasons I liked it so much is that, I mean, she's working. This took place, this journal was written in one year, of 1946 into 1947, while she was a graduate student and part of a writer's workshop at the University of Iowa. So she has a lot of questions, and what I find is so refreshing is there are times that she is rambling because she's searching herself. And yet, you know, she's funny at times. As, as much as she pleads for God's grace, as much as she acknowledges that this is talent God gave her, that God writes the story through her, and let my story be good and true to you, O God, she also will say some very quirky things. I think in one of the last entries she says something like, I am a cheese." And uh, I want to be a mystic. Make me a mystic immediately. You know, so so there there are some kind of startling moments of just her profound need to get closer to God, and you, her fear of being mediocre. She had a great fear of being mediocre.
3: You know, I, I so you know behind this whole idea is like you know why would somebody do a prayer journal? This is a this this is a very common a spiritual thing or something that is given to people who are are striving to have a more intimate relationship with God. Oftentimes spiritual directors will instruct their directees to keep a, a journal, a spiritual journal, this kind of a thing. So it's, it's interesting that, that, I mean, it's interesting that she, I, I, I'd love to know why she decided to start. And it's almost as more drastic why she, she just stopped abruptly. You know I mean? She just, she just stopped almost mid sentence in this, in this journal. But one of the things that comes across very clearly She's very hard on herself, like I mean, Uh she she, she's very hard on herself. She doesn't give herself much room, but even even in that, but the other on the other hand, she's very real. She's so real with God. It's so refreshing to listen to her inner voice with God, and it just kind of struck me at one point. I I just couldn't help but I was giggling a little bit as I was going back over this this prayer journal, thinking, if I was God. I would love this person. If I was God, I would, have, I, would have, I would want to have a cup of coffee with this person. You know, I'd, I'd want right. to hang out with this person because you know there's nothing boring in life if you were hanging out with Flannery O'Connor.
2: <laughs> well, even just as a like what kind of interesting person she was. She raised um, at her residence down in Georgia uh, as an adult pea fowl. So she had peacocks and peahens all over the place, even though... She writes a wonderful piece about how disgusting they are as birds.
0: They are but quite beautiful. disgusting.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and sometimes I wonder, her writing is a bit like that. It's sort of like human beings can be disgusting and terrible, but they are also innately beautiful.
1: We're visiting with Nancy Gord, uh, for those who are just joining us here on Real Presence Live, about um, the prayer journal by Flannery O'Connor a woman who um, was taken from us, uh, sadly, much too soon, died of Mm -hmm. lupus shortly before uh, her 40th birthday, and uh, grew up uh, in the Deep South, but um, it might not be the same kind of stereotype we may be thinking of. It was Savannah, Georgia, which has a very deep uh, Catholic sort of heritage to it as a city. In fact, her uh, childhood home has a plaque on it just a couple of blocks away from the cathedral in uh, downtown Savannah. I remember being a privilege to be able to see that area while visiting a number of years ago. Um, Before we have to step aside for a break here, could you give us, uh, Nancy, one or two elements uh, within the prayer journal that really kind of stood out to you?
2: Well, I think that she says more than once how the story comes through her from God. So just a few, few quotes from her. <coughs> One, don't let me think, dear God, that I was ever anything but the instrument for your story. God must be in all my work. Another, if I ever get to be a fine writer, it will not be because I am a fine writer, but because God has given me credit for a few of the things he kindly wrote for me. And lastly, dear God, please help me to be an artist. Please let it lead me to you.
3: She, you know, she she has this, um, I think, a very fascinating section on faith, hope, and charity, and she mm-hmm. reflects upon her relationship to God through these three prisms. And, and, and again, it, it's interesting how, like, I mean, she puts herself before God as if she has no faith, and yet. This incredible faith comes out of her, her writings. She, she writes as if she has no hope. And yet, I, I find her writing to be very hopeful, that, that God's always in there, no matter how bleak it gets, that he shows up, that he's present, you know? And, and she's so critical on herself that she's, she's not loving, has no charity, you know? And, and yet, it, it comes through that she actually has compassion for the ones who no one else can have compassion for, you know? Well. There, there was this deep fear she had, too, about always being a coward, that, that she would not be brave enough uh, to, re- to be honest, to write the real thing.
2: Right, right. And her, she was extremely witty. And I think there's a point in there, too, where she chastises herself. She says, I say mean things about people, trying to be clever, because I can and so she acknowledges her faults. And and a great line that I, I reflect upon all the time from her is, God is feeding me, and what I am praying for is an appetite.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll continue on with our uh, conversation here with Nancy Gord uh, on the other side of the break as we've been talking about a prayer journal by Flannery O'Connor. We'll be taking up another uh, brief... Um, Uh, work here on the other side of the break. You're listening to Real Presence Live. Stay with us. There's more Real Presence Live
0: to come on the Real Presence Radio Network.
2: Hi, I'm Carrie Dew, the Executive Director of Riverview Place in Fargo. The blessing of our foundation built on faith and our sense of fellowship strengthens our sense of safety, security, and community. This is what the region has come to rely on at Riverview Place for the past 35 years. We'd love to have you join us. Call 701-237-4700 to set up a tour today or check us out at homeishere.org.
1: Welcome back everyone to Real Presence Live as Father Jason Leffer and Father James Gross are coming to you from our toasty warm Grand Fork studios in the midst of a crisp and cold winter Thursday morning in the Grand Cities and for much of our viewing area some uh, pretty intense uh, temperatures uh, throughout the area. Not even factoring in the wind chill. Um, at the bottom of the hour, we are going to begin our straight talk segment, and we like to tease that out a little bit ahead of time to try to invite uh, our listeners to think of particular questions that they'd like to bring to us. 877 795 0122 is that number, and we also have uh, a Facebook page for Real Presence Radio on which people can leave their questions. And so we're we're visiting with Nancy Gort, uh and we, we our
3: literary our leaping literary lane that we always would go down <laughs> on Thursday. Um, Nancy, could you kind of summarize for us um, Flannery O'Connor's prayer journal? Wh- who who would be attracted to read such a thing? Who might benefit from reading it? Because I know the next one we're going to do is quite a contrast compared to this one.
2: I would say older teenagers and all adults. Who have a desire to get closer to God through prayer, through a recognition of His mercy and grace, to read of the questions, the struggles, the comments, the confusion that other people may have. And in this case, in Flannery O'Connor, an incredibly talented, unique American voice. We get to see her struggles. And because it is, is a diary, and she has long since passed. We know that when she talked about her fears of being mediocre, you can say many things about Flannery, not mediocre, not in her faith or not in her literature, and talked about her suffering, about suffering, bringing one closer to God. We know through her lupus she had some very harsh, painful years ahead of her.
1: Certainly. Um, there's one other book that we are going to try to um, visit about uh, in these uh, few minutes that we have left with you today, Nancy. And again, thank you for taking this time to be with us. A book entitled Seed Folks by children's author Paul Fleischman. Can you tell us about this, please?
2: Well, this is a charming little book. It is a quick read. It's a, a great novella, a collection of works that are almost like vignettes. And what it is about is about 13 individuals in a rundown neighborhood of Cleveland, Ohio, all from different backgrounds, several countries represented. They all have backstories, and they come together to make a community garden out of this vacant lot filled with trash. And these stories, each of them very short, Speak of the person's personal history, their loss, their life work, and also every single one of them is brave in a particular way. Every single one of them puts himself or herself out there. Uh, And we talked about plenary, getting closer to God. these people, through becoming a community, working together, producing this garden, because it always goes back to the garden, they get closer to God as well through the understanding of their neighbors and their appreciation and a developing love for them.
3: You know, Nancy, you you use that particular word, vignette. It couldn't have been more perfect because, literally, I think of it means looking through a window, right? They are views Uh through a... And literally one of the key figures in how this all gets started is this elderly woman who's looking out her window, and she sees this activity happening down below, and she suspects the worst and it turns out to be the best. I, I you know one of the things that absolutely struck me about I mean there there's such a gift to how this little novel is put together. I mean it's just it it what strikes me and I don't know if it, I don't know if Paul Fleischman personally but I mean it almost sounds kind of Jewish to me. He might be Jewish but I'm wondering if he has a concept of like the book of Genesis because it almost seems like he's on purpose mm-hmm. is taking, you know, after Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden, that he's he's taking broken humanity and, and they're coming back into the garden and they're discovering the garden and through the life that comes forth there's this it's almost like the reversal of the Tower of Babel. And there, there's this this new new life is coming out of the brokenness and we're rediscovering love and mercy through all these kind of horrible stories and they're not horrible that's the wrong word um tragic there's tragedy in every one of their stories and and there's this real worldly pressure to continue to destroy them and to not to think the worst of each other but they triumph and and really brings a a community together because of the garden which is life
2: well and they learn so much about each other i think there is there is one part of it where I believe it's a man from India has a fabric store, and one of the women in the garden who has grown to know him, he turns to her and he said, "You know, you you called me." She had a very racist floor. it's not given there, but she said something along the lines of a dirty foreigner. When I you thought I had shortchanged you, and the other woman was abashed and embarrassed and said, "Yes, but I didn't know you." Right, And right. I, I think that's, that's true about this garden. And another great character in this, and there are so many. But, you know, they're all brave in a different way, like the, the, the Korean woman who, I think, owned a dry-cleaning store, and she had been attacked and robbed in her store. And the tentativeness with which she uh, went back into society, and she becomes part of this garden. The pregnant teenager who is going to have the baby but had prayed to lose it uh, there, there is so much pain and there's so much loss. And, again, we go back to it, but it's very, very hopeful. You're waiting for the product of your labor. You know, you work together to figure out a way to bring water to these plants. That isn't so burdensome, and uh, you know, you talked about looking out the window. It's kind of interesting that the landlords figured that they could charge more for the apartments that look out on this <laughs> garden.
3: You know, and and again, there's this theme within each one of the stories, and then, and it's brilliant how how Fleischman no. interrelates them so that you're it's cross referencing each story as you go go deeper in. But you know, in every case, it always starts by thinking the worst of another. Mm-hmm. And somehow, but the garden brings the best out of everyone, you
0: know. Well,
2: and another example is uh, the young man, I think Bryce, who is homeless and who is a very rough-looking uh, character, and he kind of becomes the the protector of the place, you know. They he, get he, he was almost bag. like the Christ,
3: he's like the Christ figure in in a way.
2: Oh, and and he is the protector of this space, and they learn to appreciate his presence rather. Then fear his presence as, as they would have before the garden. And then um, I think they take off, three of the community garden members take off after a purse thief. And one of them says later, wow, I never would have done that. I never would have done that if I hadn't been with the others through the garden. It, it,
3: it strikes me, too. There was even room for a capitalist in the, in the garden. Oh, yes. I had to <laughs> laugh about that. The, the, the capitalist who, who learns it's not about profit. <laughs> anyway.
2: Well... And, uh, and, and, you know, there is kind of an interest, and there is a lot of mentoring that goes on here, too. Like the young gentleman who originally wanted to plant marijuana in the garden <laughs> and the other hand said, you know, plant pumpkins, because you are going to sell them like crazy during Halloween, and it's going to be much, much safer.
3: And, 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 uh, there, and know, there's this subtle humor, too. In the, I mean, there's like this, gen, I'd say it's a real contrast to Flannery's work, which is mm-hmm. like, she's kind of like a shock jock. And this, this, is, this is a very comforting experience to read this story.
2: Well, and you feel comfortable even when learning about a person's pain, because you see how the people have dealt with it. If in the one passage where somebody is going, why doesn't she pull out some of her carrots? They're so bunched together, they're not going to flourish. And when questioned about this, the woman said, well, it reminds me of the concentration camp when people were pulled out of line. Yeah, yeah. And I just couldn't bear to do it.
1: We just have a couple (laughs) of minutes left. Uh, Sorry, Nancy, we just have a couple of minutes left in this segment. Um, When you think about what age group might appreciate uh, seed folks uh, uh, the best, uh, what comes to your mind?
2: Well, I I think any adult could sit down and read this quickly and get so much out of it, but this has been used by teachers of fourth, fifth graders and on up just because it works so well in a class such as English as a second language. If you want to talk about cultural diversity, if you want to talk about the idea right. of um, our environment, of community, so I would say fourth grade and up, but... Dogs learn a great deal from this sweet little book.
3: You know what? What struck me was it it was one of the one of the best or gentlest kind of open and welcoming ways to open me up to actually become interested in other other people and their culture. I mean, it was like oh, absolutely. When after you're done reading it, you actually have a desire to go and learn more about different cultures.
2: Yeah. Right. Right.
1: So the name of this book is Seed Folks by Paul Fleischman, who incidentally, he and his father, Sid, both um, are um, mm-hmm. uh, award-winning uh, children's book mm-hmm. authors. Oh my gosh. Yeah, we, we should get some Sid Fleischman stories on here, man. Those are the greatest. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, there's one uh, there's one seed that's being planted, and um, I don't know Nancy if you and uh, Father Slattery have been chatting about what we may be uh, speaking about the next time we have you well, on. Uh, what uh, what's on deck?
2: Well, I I'm thinking we did the book several months ago, Just Mercy, and we have yet to talk about To Kill a Mockingbird. Again, mm. another important novel Powerful. in the American canon. Right. And uh, I'm. Though I haven't spoken to Father Slattery, he and I agree uh, about what makes a, a book something interesting and important. So I am going to stay on his behalf and mine uh, <laughs> right. to Kill a Mockingbird by Harper Lee. You
1: know, and it, what's interesting about that is I think a lot of people have a vague memory of it from their high school sure. English days, but, mm-hmm. uh, you know, don't really remember as much about it, so it might be refreshing people's memories. So Ooh, Bradley. Right. Yes, yes, indeed. <laughs> Very good. Nancy, thank you so much for joining us, and uh, blessings uh, on you and your day.
2: Well, and to the two of you as well. Take care.
1: Thank you very much. So we're going to be stepping aside for just a moment here. But when we come on the other side, of, come back on the other side of this break, we want to hear from you. Get your questions ready by calling in 877 795 or leaving questions on our Facebook page at Real Presence Radio as we take up our Straight Sock segment. And that's coming up right on the other side of the break. You're listening to Real Presence Live.
0: Live, engaging and local.